Welcome, everybody. Great to see you guys this weekend. Everybody at Montrose and everyone watching online, thanks for joining as well. Uh, hey, I just want to uh, real quickly reiterate that uh, announcement about Discovery Group. Uh, so that's held on, uh, on Sundays and really encourage you guys, if you haven't done that yet, hit that QR code on the chairs there if you're, uh, if you're here in the room or if you're watching online, you can do it off the app. Um, but make time to do that. So discover, Discovery does help you get oriented at Grace Church, kind of fills in those blanks, but it's actually way more for you than it is anything else. Uh, so we want, you to, <clears throat> we want you to feel like you're home. We don't want you to feel like you're new. And so like Discovery like helps that work in. And then we want to encourage you in your relationship with God. So like a big part of Discovery is laying out a spiritual pathway um, that, that you can take, and it, it helps you discover kind of how God made you, kind of helps you put together a plan for how you might serve God or grow in your relationship with God, and then it does that kind of within the context of the church and like relationships of the church. So it's really something that benefits you, and like if you're looking to say, I want to take some spiritual steps, and I want to connect, or I'm looking for some relationships, that's what Discovery sets up for. So Though that's on Sunday, and encourage you to, to come out and be a part of that. Uh, you can sign up. You can just pop in if you want. We got lunch for you. We'll, we'll uh, watch the kids for you. And, uh, and the Browns are out of contention like two months ago. So like there's not a lot to miss. Uh, but um, we'd love for you to be there. I'll be there. And uh, I'd love to connect with you. And, and uh, I think you'll find it valuable. Okay, so check that out if you haven't done that yet. All right, we're in this series right now called First Things First. And we're talking about... Uh, new ideas for a meaningful life, and we've been we've been kind of talking about this idea that Jesus, in order to kind of live the life that we want and the life that Jesus wants to give us, uh, he says, "I got to be in first place with that. If I'm not in first place, it, uh, then then the life that you're looking for is is not um, is not something that you're going to just achieve on your own." So there's a few places in the Bible that like God describes that life. I wanted to show you another one of these. It's in Galatians chapter five. So uh, speaking through the apostle Paul, this is what uh, God describes. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we're kind of asking the question, like, are these things that you would like to have in your life? Like, would that be appealing? Would, Would we rather have like love or hate in our life? Would I rather have joy or like bitterness in my life? Would I rather have peace or anxiety in my life? Would I, would I rather uh, produce patience or be Captain Flip out, you know, in, in my life? And, and on and on and on. And so there's a few places like this. Matthew chapter six is another place. Jesus talks about this. He's like, would you like to live a life of less worry? Would you like to live a life of greater faith? Would you like to live a life where like, you kind of learn to depend on God? Is that appealing to you? And most of us would look and say, yeah, like, th- this is very appealing to me. And God would look and say, well, that, if this is the life you want, this is the life I actually want for you. Like, I would love to produce that in your life for you. So I came to give you life, Jesus says. I came to give you life salvation and life to the fullest, so you want what I want, and I want what you want, and I would love to give that to you, Um, but the key to me giving that to you and you receiving it is to put me first. And so this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six. He's like, the key to all this 
is to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Like, I would love to give you things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That comes from seeking me. When you seek me first, then I produce these kind of things in your life because I want you to have the life that, that you want, you and I actually kind of want the same thing. And then we said, what, what does it mean to seek first? I just tried to boil it down. I said, it's just a predetermined yes. It's looking and saying, like deciding that when it comes to your relationship with God, the answer is always yes. Like what does the Bible say? Yes. What's God's heart? Yes. What's God's direction? Yes. Like whatever God says, the answer is yes. And who Christ is and what he is is going to be what defines and directs my life. And when it presses against like areas of my life that aren't natural for me to surrender to God, I'm going to say yes to God instead of yes to myself, right? So we've been talking about that for a couple weeks here online, the app, if you want to catch up. We introduced this idea last weekend that when, when we put something first before Jesus, so when something else is defining and directing my life, and I say yes to that instead of to Jesus, the Bible would say that thing or that idea is a idol in my life. And so we started looking at some of the idols in our life, and what, what happens when you identify the idols in your life, you identify the root things that are causing your life to go a direction that you don't want it to go and God doesn't want it to go. So there's three big idols in our life the Bible identified. We talked about the first one last weekend, and it's the idol of money. And we said, what if we started saying yes to Jesus instead of yes to ourselves with money? If there's any area of my life that I'm going to ignore God or rationalize away God or use my money to somehow dishonor God or walk away from God, it's this area of money. I'm going to often struggle to choose money and choose what I think about money over what God says about money. And that's going to be the root of all kinds of evils in my life because it's an idol. It's in the first place where Jesus belongs. This weekend, I want to talk about another one of these idols, something that, that we are going to, we're tempted to put first place in our life. And it's an area of our life where we're kind of most tempted to ignore God or to walk away from God, or to discount what he has to say. So last week we talked about the idol of money, and this week I want to talk to you about the idol of sex. And what we think about sex, how we act about sex, what we, how we process our sexuality. If there's any aspect of our life where we're going to ignore Jesus, or put Jesus away, or compartmentalize Jesus out, and act on what we understand, or what we want, or what we think, one of those big areas is probably going to be sex, right? And it's going to be this driving factor in my life where I'm not going to give God like full control and, and definition about that, okay? So what I want to do is I want to show you like a, a box or a paradigm that we have been taught and how we kind of function with sex in our culture. And then I want to ask you a question about that. And then I want to show you a different paradigm where God's going to bring like this new idea or this new truth to bear and see if that would be something that would be helpful in, in our lives, right? Now, I warned you a few weeks ago, these conversations are gonna be disruptive. So if you don't want your view of sex disruptive, you, like, you should probably find a reason to leave right now. Uh, because you're gonna, you're gonna find like these things like run into each other, right? 
God is going to disrupt that because he loves us, not because he's out to get us. But we're going to see that he's going to take us to a different place than, than what we would tend to take on our own, right? So when you think about sex and you think about sex in our culture right now, the way that sex is presented in our culture right now is kind of on the spectrum, right? There's like a spectrum where the, where the conversation is going to be. So on one side of that spectrum, the far extreme of, uh, of, of the spectrum, is gonna, we're going to find what, what is often called the purity culture, okay? So if you grew up in church, um, if you were like raised by very traditional families, that kind of stuff, you probably were exposed to aspects of the purity culture. If you were a teenager in the 90s, you got a lot of this, right? So this is, this is the purity culture. Now the purity culture says this. There's really good things about the purity culture, and there's really bad things about the purity culture. But what the purity culture does on a whole and in a big purview is the purity culture makes sex something that is somewhat taboo and something that we tend to be silent about, right? So maybe mom and dad gave you a book. If you grew up in church, maybe you had a youth pastor who said something about it, but you really didn't talk about sex a lot. And when you did, everybody giggled, right? Because it was kind of a taboo thing that you were talking about. So the idea of the purity culture is that the Bible has very clear directions about sex. Uh, there are very clear parameters in which that plays out in, in your life. And kind of the highest goal of the purity culture is to marry as a virgin. And if you lose your virginity before you get married, um, that might be something that's looked down on and it would definitely be perceived as a failure in some way in, in your life, right? Now, like I said, it's not all bad. It's not all good. It just is, right? It's, it's one extreme when it comes to how we would think about sex and one extreme of how that would be played out in our culture. So over here, like abstinence is king. Um, you get married so you can have sex, and like that would drive you and, and it would be a, a, like way up on the list of why I would want to marry somebody, okay? So that's a purity culture. Now that's one extreme. Somewhere in the middle here, when we think about how sex is talked about or related to in our culture, is what I just called emotional impulses. Now this is where most of what we see in media is driven, that's the, the picture that's painted about sex, right? So every movie with a boy-girl love story, you're gonna see emotional impulses drive that movie. Um, almost all pop songs, hip-hop songs, are gonna be about emotional impulses. And we're gonna think uh, that way about sex, even in like healthy ways. So we're gonna think things like, my heart should lead my, my uh, sexual activity. And so that's the way that we're gonna process it. And this is painted all over the place in our culture. It's not all bad, it's just not all good. It just kinda is, it's the way that we would think about it. So if I feel like I love you, we're gonna act that out sexually. Uh, if I feel an attraction, if I feel an emotion, even if we're friends, sometimes even if I have like sympathy on you, I'm gonna play that out sexually. And my emotions are gonna kind of drive that conversation, they're gonna drive those actions, and they're gonna kind of rule in that place. Now there's some healthy parts of this, because in a New Testament marriage, 
my deep love for my husband or my wife would draw me to them sexually, right? But then it can, if it just rules the day, if I don't feel like an affection for them and I feel an affection for this other person, it might draw me out of it. So there's like ups and downs. It just kind of is what it is. So the purity culture is one extreme. This is probably the predominant thing that we would think about. And then over here, the other extreme is that sex is my predominant identity. And this is kind of a, a newer thing that, that is really influencing our culture in big ways where I would look at myself and I would say, who I am and what I feel sexually is me. So my sexuality is not a part of me, it is me. And what I, how I want to uh, act sexually, how I feel sexually, what I choose to identify sexually, that, that will overrule all emotions, all biology, everything. That is who I am and that is going to define me. So my sexuality is my primary identity, right? So all I'm doing is, I'm, we're not gonna lean into all these, uh, th that's a different conversation. I'm just saying like, this is basically how we were all raised, right? That this spectrum, somewhere on this spectrum uh, is, is what we've been exposed to and where our culture, kind of really where the globe right now kind of functions sexually. And if you started to think about this and think about this individually, all of us, could, could look at this and we could place ourselves on this spectrum somewhere, right? So you might look and say, this was really important to me, helpful for me, I'm like right here, that's where I would be, I really agree with that. Or you might say, well, it's kinda down here. Or yep, if I don't feel it, it's not happening. So it's in here, all the way over to like, well, I've changed my identity because this is who I am. But if you think about that, all of us would look at the spectrum and say, somewhere on here, if I had to place myself, I would find a place for myself on, on that spectrum, okay? And that's kind of a culture, and that's kind of the way that we work, and that's kind of the way that we, we function right now, okay? Now, the life that we all kind of say that we want is this one. I would love a life defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. This picture of life sounds better than my life, sounds better than the alternatives to that life. So I want this, and this is how my culture defines things sexually, right? So here's my question, just a question. I would look and say, if this is the spectrum, and this is what I want, is this producing this for you. That's all I'm asking. Like, is it working for you? Because on, on this spectrum, you can put yourself anywhere on this spectrum, and in our culture today, nobody's really gonna judge you for it. You, you can be where you wanna be and do what you wanna do and act how you want. Like, nobody's gonna really judge you for it. And even if you found yourself, if, if you were like, I was raised in this, but I disagree with it, it you can find people who will accept you over here. If, if you look and said, Our, my church was so, well, you can find a church over here. So even if you didn't fit somewhere in the spectrum, in our culture today, you could find a place to fit in the spectrum where, where you would say, that's about where I land sexually. So wherever you land on your actions, your thoughts, your identity, or wherever you land, 
wherever you would place yourself, I would ask this question, if this is where we're at, and this is reflective of the life that I want, is this producing that? Is it working for you? Now what's fascinating, on a very broad level, it fascinates me, we have total sexual freedom. Like you're just not gonna get judged about it anymore. So you have, we have total sexual freedom, and while we have total sexual freedom, simultaneously, depression's at an all-time high, anxiety's at an all-time high, violence, sexual violence, frustration, addictions. Like, so we have all the freedom in the world that we could chase down, but when you look at the things that we're struggling with in our culture, it's the opposite. We would be calling for these things while living in total sexual freedom. And for a lot of us personally, we would look and say, well, these are the things that I want, but this is the place I've set my life up. And I would just ask a very honest question and say, is it, is, like, does it work? Because like big stats, it, it, the two things aren't working. Micro levels, like your life, does it work? And if it's not working, is there something else to consider, right? If this is the, the box that we're in, and this is how we're living, how we're thinking, what we're doing, these are the habits and the patterns and the definition of our relationships that we're in, and I'm not less worried, and I'm not full of faith, and I don't feel loved, and I don't have joy, and I'm full of anxiety, and I'm full of stress, and I'm full of worry, while practicing total sexual freedom, in this area of my life, if that's not giving me the outcome that I want, what would happen if I went into a different box? And could that box, if the Lord promises to produce that in my life when I seek him first, could that box get me a different outcome than that one is doing, okay? Now it's fascinating, when you look at the Bible, that's what God does. He looks and says, guys, uh, just like money, just like how, how money would be a place that you would be very apt to like not trust me, sex is a place that you're very apt to not trust me. But if you want a different outcome, what would happen if you put me first? Could we, could we get on a different path that would take me, take you to a different place? So there's this really fascinating passage in the Bible. So 1 Corinthians chapter six, if you've got a Bible, you can go there, or if you wanna use your phone. 1 Corinthians chapter six, there's this guy who's speaking on God's behalf, his name's the Apostle Paul, and he, he's writing to a church uh, in, a, in a city, one of the early churches, and the church of Corinth, he's writing to them, and they have, they had almost the exact same spectrum that you and I, that we would have. So they would think and be exposed to things exactly like we would. So Paul writes a letter to them, and these are people who become Christ followers, and they're stuck in these same cycles. And he starts talking to them about, could we break the cycles? Could we change boxes, be in a different paradigm, but that give you a different outcome? So this is what he says. We'll look at it, and then we'll, we'll dig at it for a little bit. So this is verse 12, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians. He says this. 
He says, you guys say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Even though I'm not allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. So Paul's like, you guys say you can do whatever you want. Not everything is good for you, but I can do whatever I want. He's like, okay, but you shouldn't become a slave to anything. In other words, nothing should become an idol. Nothing should take that first place if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, he says this, verse 13. For instance, you say that food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. But, uh, and, and that's true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about the body. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised the Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her, for the scripture says the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So Paul's leaning in here, and he's saying, guys, we all live in this spectrum. Everybody knows about it. There's a different one, and the different one will take you to a different place if you want a different outcome. So let's talk about this outcome. And what he does, it's really fascinating. He introduces a few ideas that nobody would have ever considered on their own but they're absolutely life-changing if you lock into them, okay? So here's the ideas that he introduces. The first idea, the things that would define this paradigm, the first idea that Paul introduces is this one. He introduces this idea that my body has an intended purpose. My body has an intended purpose. And he he would look at this church and he'd be like, maybe you've never thought of this before, but God created your body for like a reason, It has a purpose. This is the way he says it. He says, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. So we can't just say, like, well, I'll just do whatever I want. He's like, nah, your bodies were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about your body. So what's he talking about there? Well, later on in the Bible, he says it this way. He says, for we're God's masterpieces, He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us to do. So Paul is talking to them. He's like, guys, your body is not intended to do whatever you want it to do. Your body was made to serve the Lord. You are the masterpiece of God. He created you to do the good works of God, to love Christ and to love people. And that's the purpose of your body and it needs to be used for its intended purpose, right? So there's this whole brand new idea that's a a very disruptive idea where Paul says, have you ever thought about the idea that maybe your body has an intended purpose and that if you use your body for a reason it was not intended to be used for, that's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you physically, it's going to hurt you emotionally, and it's going to hurt you spiritually, And what's interesting is he says that, 
And then he talks to this early church and he says, you understand this with food. Like you say the stomach was, the, that the stomach was meant for food and food was meant for the stomach. He's like, so you understand like when in the context of food that, that your body has an intended purpose. And, and it's funny, we would understand that too. So we would look and say, if I use my body in relationship to food in a way it was not intended to be used, it will hurt me physically, it'll hurt me emotionally, it'll hurt me spiritually. So probably my three favorite things to eat on planet Earth are Big Macs, Twinkies, and double-stuffed Oreos, right? And if I stood up here and I said, uh, I've been eating Big Macs and Twinkies and double-stuffed Oreos, for the last five years, you would be like, hmm, we can tell, right? You would know right away. And because you know that the body was created for an intended purpose in relationship to food, you, if you love me, would look at me and say, Jeff, you can't eat that way. That's not the intended. And if I looked at you and said, well, God gave me a mouth, I can eat with it. You'd be like, no, that, that wasn't its intended purpose. That's not the way you should think about food. If you eat Big Macs and Twinkies and double stuffed Oreos, if you use your body to consume food in a way that it was not intended to be used, it's going to hurt you physically. Like you're gonna have a stroke. It's going to affect you emotionally on a very deep level. Every time you're sad, you eat. Every time you're happy, you eat. Every time you struggle with self-esteem, you starve yourself. See, you're using your body in a way it's not intended. And then it's gonna affect you spiritually. That as you are sensitive to the Lord, you're gonna look and say, man, I can't have victory over food. I eat too much, I eat too little. I need to have God have a breakthrough in my life to give me victory over food. You would look and say, right, because the body has an intended purpose in its relationship with food, and if you use the body in a way in its relationship with food that it was not intended to be, it hurts you physically, it hurts you emotionally, it hurts you spiritually. Paul says that's true of sex. Same thing. Well, the, my, my body was built for sex. I, I know how it works. But your body sexually has an intended purpose. And it's not in morality. So when you use your body sexually in a way that it was not intended to be used, it hurts you physically, it hurts you emotionally, and it hurts you spiritually. Right? And this was like a brand new thought. Because over here, none of that's considered. The body's built for sex, let's have it. Over here, the body's built for sex for a purpose. Let's understand and define and live within the purpose. Right? Now what he does is he takes it a notch deeper then. He says, so guys, like, have you ever thought about that maybe your body is, is, has a purpose, has an intended purpose. It's to honor God, honor me, and everything falls within that purpose. And then he asks this question, in essence. He says, you ever think about this idea that my body is sacred. My body is sacred. You ever thought about your body that way? And he says it this way. He says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? 
that my physical body and my interaction with Jesus is tied together or representative of Christ. He says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? And then he says this. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So he's talking to Christ followers now. He's like, have you guys ever thought about this? You're, you're a part of the body of Christ. So your physical body is like tied to that spiritual truth. And then he uses this really interesting thing. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And that word temple that he chooses is really fascinating. So back in the first part of the Bible, God told his people to build a temple. And the way that God interacted with people was this. You would go to the temple and you would interact with the presence of God. So if you wanted to interact with God's heart or you want to experience God's presence in the Old Testament, you would go to the temple and you would interact with God in that way. So what Paul is saying, he's like, guys, just like in the Old Testament, you would go to the temple and experience the heart and the mind of God, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when people interact with your body, they should be able to experience and encounter God. And if they're not experiencing and encountering God when they interact with your body, then you are using your body for something it wasn't intended to be used for. Because your body is a place where God resides. So when somebody interacts with your body, they should experience and encounter God. Now just think about this for a minute. That's what Paul's digging at. So we would think about this like in terms of the church building, right? We would look and say the church building is a little bit sacred, right? We would think about it that way. So think about it this way. Can you imagine if, uh, if you were struggling with alcohol and, and yet you were using your body in a way that was, with alcohol that was hurting your body and it was hurting your body, it was hurting your emotions, it was hurting your spirit, so you hit rock bottom. Like I've hit rock bottom physically, I've hit, I've hit rock bottom emotionally, and I've hit rock bottom spiritually. I want to go somewhere where I can encounter and experience God because I gotta have help with this. I can't do it on my own. I'm in this cycle, I can't break out of it. So the place that I'm gonna go where I'm gonna encounter and experience God, the place that would make sense to me is to go to church. So can you imagine if you came to church, you walked into Grace Church because you need to experience and encounter God because you're struggling with something that's hurting you physically, emotionally, spiritually. And you walked in here and you came into the auditorium and it was all set up with kegs and we were having a party drinking hard. Or you're addicted to porn and it's hurting you physically, it's hurting your relationships, emotionally, spiritually, you're gonna, I gotta have freedom. I can't break this on my own, I gotta have freedom. So where am I gonna go? I'm gonna go someplace where I'm gonna experience and encounter God. I would think to come to church, and I come to church so that I can experience and encounter God. You walk in and it's full of stripper poles. <laughs> or you're wounded. Somebody hurt you sexually. And I'm gonna go to church because my body, my emotions, my spirit, I'm gonna to go to church so that I can experience and encounter God and all you find is predators. 
And Paul's looking and he's saying, that's your body. That's your body. And people who are struggling or hurting, who need to experience and encounter God, should be able to interact with you physically. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when they interact with you physically, what they should feel or receive is the things of God, like love, joy, peace, patience. And when they come to you to receive that, and what they receive instead is wherever you're at on this sexual spectrum. He's like, another way to think about this that, that none of us ever picked up anywhere was there's a purpose. That purpose is to do the work of God that he created me to do. So I think of myself as a temple, a place that when someone encounters me physically, see, they're experiencing and encountering the heart and the mind of Jesus. Now the next thing that he does is he clicks it up another one. And, and what he's gonna click up next in our culture is probably the most controversial thing he's gonna say, right? If, I, I told you it's gonna be disruptive. You're, we're gonna hate this one, right? Because it really goes against our grain. So he says, what if you thought of your body as, as something that has an intended purpose? What if you thought of your body as a temple where people can encounter and experience Christ? And then he said, and what if you thought of your body as belonging to somebody else? This is what he says. Paul would say, my body belongs to Jesus. Look at the words. You do not belong to yourself. For you were bought with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. If there is a controversial thing that is disruptive in our world today, it's that my body is not mine. And what Paul says for the Christ follower, he says, you should think of your body that way. You do not belong to yourself because you were bought at a high price. Now what does that mean? Because that's a, that's a weird way to say that. It would sound very weird to like our ears. What does it mean to be bought at a high price? So this is what the Bible says. The Bible says when Jesus lived his life, he lived his life in such a way that he never sinned. So when he laid his life down, and that's important to remember, Jesus was not murdered, he wasn't killed, it wasn't a political thing, Jesus laid his life down, right? Because you can't kill God, so he had, he had to lay his life down. When he laid his life down on the cross, he paid a debt he didn't owe for those of us who owe a debt that we can't pay. So he laid his life down as a substitute. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sin. The Bible says when he did that, what he did was he paid a ransom for many. So the way that Jesus would think about this is this. If he was looking at us here this weekend, he would look and say, what I see is a bunch of people who are imprisoned. And specifically in this area of sex, they're imprisoned to sex. They're addicted to sex. They're, they're dishonoring God through their sexual activity. They're not loving each other. They're broken sexually. 
Their sex is hurting their body, hurting their emotions, and hurting their spirit. And they're imprisoned with it. They can't break free of it for their own. So what I did was because they can't break free, I gave my life and I paid the ransom to free them from that prison. They can't produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, but it's what they want, but they can't get it, so they're stuck in these cycles. I produced that for them. So I paid a ransom for that to set them free. I wrote it down this way. Jesus bought us to bless us. So Jesus looks and he says, guys, listen, this life that you want, that's the life that I want, but I have to produce that for you. I want you to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I want you to not worry. I want you to have greater faith. I want you to be reliant. I want all of that for you, but you can't do that on your own. So I paid the ransom to set you free from that, right? Now what that means is that I purchased your life. And as a Christ follower, when I start to follow Jesus, what I'm saying is I accept your salvation and I want to be free so you now are the head of my life. I don't yield to myself. I don't just trust myself. I'm not my own authority. That would be an idol. First things come first. I seek first you. All things are defined and directed by you. And the promise is that you give me the life that I want for me. This idea that my body is not even mine. That I don't have the freedom. So I honor the Lord. I was purchased so that I could do the good works that I was created and intended to do so that when people interact with me, they encounter and experience Christ. And whenever I move outside of that paradigm, all of that breaks down. And it's gonna lead me down to the path and and I'm gonna wind up wherever I am right now because that's the paradigm I've been living in. If I want to be in a different paradigm, All of that takes place because I've already decided to say yes to Jesus, predetermined yes. And I'm seeking him first and I'm living in this thought that there's a purpose. I'm living in this idea that I'm a temple and I'm living under the knowledge that I've been bought at a high, high price so I honor God with my body, right? And it's a whole different way it's a whole different way to think about sex and sexuality and sexual activity. And if you're in a cycle and you're at a place that you're not happy, you're in a place where the, the, the things you long for in life are not being played out, Jesus is looking and saying, I want to give you the life that you want. You and I want the same thing. But the key to that is to seek me first. Put me primary all these things added unto you. The two areas that you're probably gonna hang up on that the most, money and sex. If those two things were brought into consideration, changed, altered, surrendered, it might make a massive difference in your life.
Now, I was trying to think about ways to like help you with this, kind of handles to put on it. So this is what I realize. I, I am very, very aware that if you are not dissatisfied with this area of your sexual activity or your sexuality, that nothing I say is going to influence that. So you've been very polite and respectful. And I'm, thank you for listening at least, you know. I'm very, very aware that if, if you're fine with where you're at, it, it, it doesn't really matter where God might want you to be, okay? So for those of you like that, just know like what, what God would say is that there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to destruction. You abuse food, you're gonna get sick. And God would say you abuse your body sexually, it's, it's eventually gonna catch up with you emotionally, spiritually, maybe physically, I don't know, but one of those two things. But thank you for listening. For those of you who look and say, I'm not cool, like I do not, I see these cycles, I'm tired of these cycles, I want something different, I wanna, I wanna make you a, kind of a challenge and a little bit of an offer, right? Here's my challenge. What if for the next 30 days, from now until March, what if for the next 30 days you changed paradigms? So like that, that one's had a long run in your life, right? It's the, it, the results you're gonna get, you got. So what if you said for the next 30 days, I'm gonna give God a shot? Then in the 30 days, ask yourself, is my life more defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kind of goodness, faithfulness, Jones, self-control, less worry, less anxiety, or not? and see if God's way works for you, okay? Now, what would that look like? For some of you, um, that's gonna look like investigating God's plan and purpose. So for some of you, I've used terms this weekend that you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Sexual immorality, displeasing to God, New Testament marriage, like, I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff. Fair enough, fair enough. So maybe the next three days looks like figuring out what the Bible actually says, not the assumptions about it, what it actually says. So we have classes that we're, we're doing right now. There's Bible studies you can be a part of. Maybe you have a friend that knows the Bible well or is passionate about things with Jesus and that you can talk to about them. Maybe you submit uh, questions and mixed messages with Jeff Bogue, the podcast. I can try to answer them there. But you just look and say, you know what? I'm gonna give God a shot for 30 days and I'm gonna at least take the time to gather the knowledge to know, know what you guys are talking about. And that's your 30 days. See how it works, okay? So for some of you, that's where you'd start. For some of us, the next 30 days might be acting on God's purpose, right? Acting on God's purpose, right? So let, I love you, so let's, let's just uh, be honest, okay? Some of us know what the Bible says and we know it in a healthy way. So we don't feel condemned by the purity culture. We know what the Bible says and we know it in a healthy way. And we are just not doing what the Bible says. Like God is not influencing this area of our life at all. And that shows up in a couple of ways, right? Uh, some of you are dating or engaged and you're full on sexually active and you, you, you know that it displeases God and you don't care. Right? And then you, you worry about your relationship. I'm like, well, take sex out and see what kind of relationship's actually there. I mean, just try it. Uh, some of us 
are in a New Testament marriage and it's sexless. There's no sex in your marriage, which is not God's intention or design either. Sex is not a sin. It just has a purpose. And so you, you, have, you might need to look and say, in, in our marriage, like if it's a sexless marriage, like we, need, we need to at least talk about that. And, and we need to deal with the pain or the frustration or whatever it is that has led us to this place, right? But here's the thing with both those things, ready? This is important. When the Bible speaks about sex, it ne- sex, healthy sex is never about control or ownership, never. So if you, if you look at your spouse, you're like, well, Jeff said, like, you on your own, bro. Like, I am not, like... Don't even call. Like, I'm not helping you out. Because sex is never about ownership or control. Ready? It's important. You with me? Sex is about serving. I give my body. I meet a need. Maybe physical. A lot of times that needs emotional. When I withhold sex, because we're not in a New Testament marriage... I'm serving you with purity. Uh, when I withhold sex or, or tap myself out, like I'm like, I, I, we don't have to have sex because there's a wound or there's pain. But sex is all about serving. It's not about getting. It's about giving. And in a, in a dating engagement relationship that's sexually active outside of God's plan and in a marriage relationship that's not sexually active outside of God's plan, both of those things, like that needs to be, that's not, like neither one of those things are cool. And like some of us like know this stuff and we're like, you know, we, the 30 years, we just need to tackle it. Even, even if we're just tackling the pain of it or the frustration or the relation breakdown, like we, need, we need to go there so that we're honoring God there, right? So for some of us, that's the 30 days. For some of us, the 30 days is all about our sexual impulses, right? Some of us cannot remember life without porn. We cannot remember life without hookup. And we just, we cannot remember. We can't envision a dating or an engagement relationship that's not sexually active. So for some of us, it's looking and saying, I'm, I need to ask God to help me with these impulses because the impulse has been driving me as opposed to Christ driving me. And, and how can God help me in this area? Now, listen, some of you are like, Jeff, I can't, 30 days, 30 days, no porn, no sex, I can't do it. I'm like, great. That's the definition of an addiction. That's what that is. And like the idea that like, I, I, there's no way I can, right. And when you think about what, like, what will drive you to prayer, what will drive you to, to help, what will, like, so it's a thing, right? It's a big thing. So for some of us, it's the impulse. And then this is the last one. That's the 30 days. For some of us, the 30 days is all about woundedness. You know, woundedness. You've been hurt. You've been abused. Some of, some of us have been sexually abused. And that has been put away and it's driving you. It, it's driving your views of sex. It's driving your impulse of sex. It, it's driving your addiction to sex or your, your lack of sex. Like, 
but that, that wound has broken trust. Somebody robbed you of your innocence, maybe as a child, maybe in college, maybe whatever. Like, and the 30 days is looking and saying, this, this has been a part of my life, part of my life that's been a secret, part of my life that I've never really asked or pursued Jesus's help and healing in. And, and my 30 days is like, I, got, I need to go there. I need to go there. Because I, I, when I think about the life I want, I don't have it, and it's tied to the secrets and the wounds that I have, right? So that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, if, if, if this is working for you, then you, you, probably, you probably are like, hey, Jeff, that was nice, thanks, and that's like the end of it. My question just is like, is it working for you? Like, we all know what, like, the norm is. Like, is it working for you? Is it landing you at the place you want to be? If it's not working for you, like, well, here's another thing. What if you gave it a shot? And you invited God into it, see what he did, and, uh, and see where you are at the end of 30 days. And if you're closer to the life you want, Maybe it's because that, that idol was in the way. And getting that out of first place and Jesus in the first place, maybe you'll wind up at a different place, right? Okay. Jesus, uh, help us with this. It's a big deal. It's difficult. You know, it's sensitive. So God, uh, when it comes to just this aspect of our life, um, meet us here. You created us. There's nothing wrong with us being sexual. You created that. It's a gift. It's an intention. It's something that you you want for us. That's not the problem. But God, most of us are broken. Most of us have functioned in in an unhealthy paradigm. And God, it hurts us. We weren't meant to be using our bodies that way, so it hurts us. And so what was meant to bring security and bring happiness and bring hope and express love is a place of insecurity and woundedness and guilt and shame and rejection, and it's a big deal. So God, would you just meet us here? Would you, would you go to these deep places in our life? Would you meet us there in a, in a powerful way?